Well, good morning. I'm really glad you were all here. I am really excited to be here. And I just want to let you know, I'm excited to be preaching, not only here at Monterey Baptist Church, I'm excited to be preaching in the upstate of South Carolina, mainly because yesterday, apparently some orange team football, Clemson, won the ACC tournament. So if, you, if you're wearing orange, you can cheer. If you're wearing that other, I think, maroon, you might not want to cheer. Uh, so, but hey, I was watching the game. I, I'm sorry, I grew up in Illinois. That's Big Ten country. So yesterday, I actually didn't even watch the ACC game. I was watching the Big Ten game. So I was watching Michigan State. Uh, but I was kind of flipping back and forth, and I, I came across the ACC game, and I was like, you know what? If Clemson doesn't win, I might be speaking to an empty auditorium in the morning. <laughs> Or I was thinking maybe the opposite. I could be speaking to a really full auditorium because everyone needs to come and confess all of their sins after Clemson lost. But luckily that didn't happen. Uh, so I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be speaking this morning. And let's, let's just jump right in. And, and, and to do that, I want to tell you a little bit about myself. One of the things that has had the biggest impact on my life is church. I love church. Uh, ch- church uh, I grew up in church. I did a lot with church. Um, And I actually think that some of you are sitting there probably can relate to that. You're like, man, I've been in church a lot too. Yeah, well, I've been there like 10 times more than you have. And let me explain why. Uh, My grandpa growing up was my pastor. Uh, My grandpa, uh, he came to Kankakee, Illinois, and he started, or he didn't really start, he he took over a church and moved it and kind of relaunched the church, and he was the pastor there for like 45, 50 years almost. Um, not only was my grandpa the pastor of this church, my grandmother, uh, kind of them together, started a Christian school connected to the church. And my grandmother, uh, she was the Bible teacher. She was the music director. She was, uh, ran all the kids' plays in the school. And so my grandmother worked at the Christian school that I went to. And you might think, wow, that's, that's pretty awesome, Eric. Your grandpa was involved in church? Yeah. But then listen to this. Not only my grandpa, but my dad was my student pastor. After he graduated college, he went to Freeport, Illinois, which is actually where I was born. And then when I was like a year old, I don't even remember any of this, but I was a year old, they moved back to Kankakee and he became the student pastor of the same church that my grandpa was the pastor. So I had a grandpa for a pastor. I had a dad for a student pastor, a grandma who was a Bible teacher, music teacher, and and very involved in the school. And yes, my own mother worked at this Christian school as the activities director, as the assistant to the principal, and she did a bunch of other things involving the school. So if you think you grew up in church, guess what? I grew up in church way more than you did. And that's okay, because guess what? I loved church. Like, there was something about church that I really enjoyed, because I got a lot out of church. I remember being in church, and to be honest with you, I spent more time at Grace Baptist Church in that building than I think I did my own house. I really do. I I think if I could go throughout my life and if I could categorize like the minutes spent in church and the minutes spent at home, I think the minutes in church would would be like way up here and home would be down here. Uh, But some of the things that I got out of church, I just absolutely loved. I loved the music. You know, we got some good music here at Monterey Baptist Church. Dave, man, that guy can sing and he's got great music. And I'm excited about tonight, by the way, come back to hear some good music. But something about church music, it just gave me so much joy. Like, I remember a lot of times where the music, even though sometimes at church, let's be honest, it's not, it's not professional level quality. I mean, we, it, you know, it's, it's really good, but it's not like Celine Dion or Beyonce singing up here, right? But, uh, but we hear some really good music, and even though it's not maybe the greatest we've ever heard, sometimes church music just 
it moves us. Like it hits you right there in the core, right in the feels. And it's just like, oh man, that's good. And, and I love that. And the same way for me, I got so much out of the church music. I got a lot of teaching. I remember listening to my, my grandfather preach, and, and, and he was a fantastic preacher. He was pretty uh, old school. He, he never left. This was literally his pose throughout the entire sermon. He was that kind of guy, never left. He, he did some of this every now and then. But uh, my dad was a fantastic teacher. In fact, a lot of what you're hearing right now is a result of my dad kind of helping me and training me, and I, I kind of mimic his communicating style. And so uh, the teaching was fantastic. Another thing I, I really got out of church was the relationships. The relationships were awesome. In fact, I could go back to Kankakee today, and there are people there that I know, that I love. They would, they would open their home, and they'd feed me, and they'd let me in, let me stay at their house because of the relationships I was able to get out of church. Another thing I got out of church that was pretty awesome was um, recognition. And this is kind of more specific to me, but growing up as a Marvin whose family was completely involved in the church. You know, they all worked there. They were involved in the school. I went to the school. I was involved in everything. I had to be. Uh, so my grandmother forced me to sing in the choirs and everything. So I, I got recognition out of church. Like people kind of, they knew who I was. And that was exciting. I actually really enjoyed it. Uh, I actually, believe it or not, you hear a lot of bad stories about preacher's kids and how they're like, you know, they're terrible. <laughs> Uh, we got none of those here, by the way. Uh, but, but for me, I, I really, I didn't really, I mean, I wasn't perfect. I messed up and did dumb things every now and then. But for the most part, I was a pretty good preacher's kid. And I think people recognized that. So that was really exciting. And the truth of the matter is, growing up in church, and if you go to church a lot, which I imagine a lot of us in this room do, if we're honest with ourselves this morning, if we're transparent this morning, we get a lot out of church, right? That's, that's pretty nice. And that's a good thing. I think we're supposed to get a lot out of church. But here's, I was thinking about this. I was trying to think, I was trying to list, you know, not just for myself, but what do we as a congregation, what do we get out of church? And I kind of put a list together and it's not an exhaustive list. It's not a complete list, but these are just a few things I could think of. I thought that, you know what? We really, we get refueled, right? Like you, you guys, you work out in the real world and the real world is tough. It's hard. It's difficult. It's dark. Sometimes you, you come into contact with people that you don't really like because honestly, they're annoying, right? And, and, and the week can just grate on you and it can just kind of knock you down. And church is a place that you can come to and you can get refueled. It's like your spiritual batteries are drained and this is a place to get recharged. Another thing you can get from church is you can get an education. Like something great about church is that you actually begin to learn as you come to church. You learn a lot about the Bible. You learn a lot about life. You learn a lot about relationships and all these other things. We have a fantastic pastor here, Pastor Keith. That guy brings it every Sunday morning. And, and, and listening to him, you learn a lot. Uh, you, get, you get a lot of knowledge. We go to BSF class. Uh, some of, if you're in the Life Center every now and then, I know there's a group that meets on Tuesday nights, uh, the younger crowd. So there's a lot of cool things that are going on. And, and a lot of church, what you get out of it is knowledge, is almost an education. I wish you'd get credit for that education. I'm trying to get a master's right now, and I'd like to go to him and say, hey, can you just give me credit for all this stuff I'm learning in church? But sadly, <laughs> Anderson University won't do that. Um, but I really think we get an education from church. Another thing I think we get from church, and now this is the point in the list where things start to be not so like, 
yippee, positive. Uh, some of the things we get out of church are relief from guilt. And you know who I'm talking about. Some of us have grown up in those families where we have maybe parents or relatives or we live in kind of that culture where that, this, that they say, if you're not in church on Sunday morning, then God's going to get you. And it's almost like they kind of paint this picture of God up in heaven with like his finger, like with a lightning bolt. He's ready to just strike you down if you are sick and you miss a Sunday morning. It's like, pfft. And so we come to church a lot of times because we have a guilty conscience. And we feel like if I'm not there, then, then something bad is going to happen. So we come to church to get relief from this guilt. Another kind of negative thing that I think sometimes we get, and I'm going to have to put myself in this category, if I'm transparent and honest with you this morning, is we come to church to feel self-righteous. We come to church because it gives us a sense of pride and almost a sense of arrogance. We feel like we're more spiritual, or maybe we feel like we're better, or, or maybe we just are getting kind of puffed up. Um, I, I don't know what it is, but sometimes we come to church because we get that feeling of I am a very spiritual and good person. And if I'm honest with you this morning, I, I kind of got to put myself in there sometimes. Not all the time, huh, hopefully, but, but, but a lot of times I come there because it's like, man, it, it makes, it kind of builds up this pride in my life. Another thing we come to church for is, is this, and, I, and this is kind of a weird one. And when I thought of it, I was like, at first I was kind of like, eh, maybe not. But then when you start to think about it, it's kind of true. Um, entertainment. We come to church to get entertained. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Church should be fun. Church should be exciting. As a staff member here, we spend a lot of hours during the week trying to figure out ways uh, to engage our audience, to make church more enjoyable, to uh, do a lot of really cool things. And that's not bad. But if the only reason you're coming to church is to get entertained, is that really the best reason to come to church? I will tell you from experience in student ministry, this is a big deal. And, and children's ministry, I'll have, to, I'll have to put that in there too. It's a big deal because students and kids, they want to come. And a lot of times, and I'm sorry, I'm going to throw you out there, but even you parents, like, again, this is not necessarily, it's not always a bad thing, but this is, if this is the only reason, it could lead to a bad thing. But we stick your kids in student ministry, your children in children's ministry, and the only reason you're doing that is to entertain them so that they can have fun, so that they can enjoy a few hours during the week. And those are all good, but if that's the only reason we're coming to church, is that the best reason? I think after this, this week when I was preparing for all of this, and I'm looking at all this, and I'm kind of looking at the way we view church today, what I found is this. We live in a modern reality. And the modern reality for church, and it'll be on the screen here in a minute, is this is that we view church a lot of times as an institution designed for us to get something. I'll say that again. Write it down if you, if you need to remember it. That church, again, this is the modern reality that we live in. Not for, not for everyone, but if we overall look at, at churchgoers and the church experience, and if we look at the overall thing that's happening here, a lot of times the reality is we look at church as an institution designed for us to get something. Now, when I think of that word institution, I think of, I, I kind of, my mind tends to go to like a business, like businesses out there. And I'm thinking of like a McDonald's for an illustration. Think of McDonald's. Like you walk into McDonald's as a business, as an institution, and you walk in there and you walk up to the counter and you give them your money and you expect 
to get that Big Mac in return, correct? And a lot of times, we do the same thing with church. We show up on Sunday morning, we put in our time, and we expect to get something in return, either an education or entertainment or good teaching or good music or whatever it may be. Some of you, you we, we, and I'm, again, I'm throwing myself in there, but we, we pass the plates along and we put in our tithe and we expect to get something in return. And the modern reality of church today, and not all of you, some of you aren't doing this, some, some of you, you know, you view church in a different light, and that's, that's okay. But again, I, and I'm throwing myself in there, and if we're honest with ourselves for a minute, I think we can all agree that we live in this modern reality where we tend to view church as an institution designed for us to get something. And I think that's interesting. I think that's a, that's a difficult question. Uh, that's a difficult, re- sorry, that's a difficult reality to live with. And because of that reality, what I want to lead to now is, and I call this the bottom line for, t- for today. If you can remember one thing, please, please, please remember this thing. And it comes in the form of a question. And when dealing with this modern reality, ask yourself this question. Do you come to church or throw yourself, do I, do I come to church to get or to give? Do I come to church to get or to give? And what I want you to do this morning is continue to ask yourself this question. As I, as I continue to speak, ask it. As you go throughout your day and you go out to lunch, ask this question. Maybe this week in your quiet time or if you, if you like to spend time reading you know, scripture and praying or you know, doing all that, ask yourself this question. Do I come to church to get or to give? Because I think we all know deep down that's not, that is not what church was designed for. Like we all, if we're honest, we're probably going to have to answer, and I'm going to have to answer myself this morning, that I come to church a lot of times to get. Now it might look like I'm giving because as a staff member, I have, but that's kind of part of my job description is I have to give a lot to this. But if I'm honest, a lot of the reason I come to church is because I want to get something in return. And deep down, I know, and, and I think you know too, that that is not what church was originally intended for. That is not... The, the, the original purpose of church was not for us just to come here to a building or to a place, to an institution, and to get something. So what was church originally designed for? Well, I think what we need to do is we need to look at, there's a really interesting story in the Bible, and I'm not, you don't need to turn to it, I'm just going to kind of tell it to you in a story form. Um, there's a really interesting story, and I'm so glad that, and I can't remember off the top of my head if it's in Matthew or in Luke, I think it's in one of the two, but whoever wrote this down and whoever was listening during this interaction between Jesus and his disciples, I'm so glad that they were listening because what, what Jesus said and what was written down, we are actually living it out today, and I think it's one of the coolest passages in all of Scripture. But basically what's happening is this. Jesus, at one point in his ministry, he decided to kind of take a missions trip. He took his 12 disciples and he decided to go up to Caesarea Philippi. And this is the most northern Jesus has ever been. He, he, he's spent a lot of time in Galilee. He spent some time in Jerusalem and in Samaria and all that. But, but at one point in his ministry, he wanted to go all the way up to Caesarea Philippi, which is way up north. 
and he wanted to do some ministry. And he's taking his 12 disciples. And I can just imagine if you can picture this in your head, they're walking along. It's kind of a dusty road. It's kind of, you know, they're just probably gibbering and jabbering and going back and forth. You know, some of the fishermen guys are talking about fishermen's digest or something like that. And, you know, Matthew's over there trying to uh, explain how to properly take taxes. And they're just kind of going back and forth. And it's a normal interaction. And they're just walking along. And Jesus says something. He actually asked them a question that Honestly, I would be afraid to ask anyone because the response to this question, it could be like really positive or could be really, really negative. And Jesus looks at them and he says this. He says, hey, who do, you say, uh, who do the people say I am? Who do the people say I am? And I can imagine in my head, I, I can see this all. The disciples are probably like, you know, they're probably discussing and they start kind of giving out all these different answers. They're like, well, some say you're Elijah. Uh, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're a good teacher, a good person. Some say you're a carpenter or whatever, or a fisherman. And they start giving all these answers. And they probably, that probably goes on for a while. And then Jesus kind of interrupts them again. And he looks at them and he turns the question around on them. And where that first question was kind of like a shotgun question, this next question that Jesus asks, it's a sniper shot right at their hearts. And he asks them, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And if you guys, I don't know if you've ever had this, but have you ever been in a group where not everyone kind of knows each other and it's like a small group maybe kind of environment and someone asks a question that's kind of difficult and nobody wants to answer and it's awkward silence for like 10 or 12 seconds? I imagine that's how this was. Jesus asked a question and the disciples are just like, uh... Do you want to answer? No. Do you want to answer? No. Hey, try to get Peter to answer. That guy always answers. And so like Peter's like over there and Peter actually shouts out. He says, well, you're the son of God. And it's like, of course, you know, if, if you read the gospels, you'll find that Peter is always that guy. He's always the one that like shouts out something, you know, random. And so Peter shouts out, I think you're the son of God. And what happens next, again, in the context of, of what actually they're doing right here, it seems so insignificant but when you look at who actually said this Jesus and you look at what's actually happened over the last thousands of years, what we find is that this next thing that Jesus says has so much impact, it carries so much weight. Jesus takes Peter to the side and he says, Peter, listen up, I'm gonna, I'm gonna explain to you my plan for the future. And he says this, he says, Peter, on this rock, and a lot of us, a lot of you know, churches and different denominations there's a lot of controversy about, you know, who the rock is, but honestly, it doesn't matter. We, we believe that he's talking about himself there, but that's not the point this morning. Is, but he says, listen, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. On this rock, I will build my church. Now, in most of your translations, in most of your Bibles, that word church is actually there. But the word church is not the greatest translation of the word that Jesus actually used. The word church comes from an older English word, and I think it's pronounced like kirche or something like that. It's, it's a really, you could go and you could, you know, Google the root word for church, but um, it's kind of long and boring, so I'm not going to, you know, give you all those details. And, but, but the original root word for church, what it actually meant was a place of meeting, a building. It, it, was, a, it was a word designed to describe like, four walls, a roof, floors, pews, like this kind of a place of meaning. And what Jesus, the word that he actually used there is not the word for church. It's, it's a Greek word called ekklesia, 
What he tells Peter is, Peter, on this rock I will build my, and it's a Greek word, ekklesia. And what that word means, it's very different. What that word means, not a place of meeting, no, it means a congregation, a people, a movement. And if you're wondering how the title fits into all this, a creature, something living, moving, active, something breathing, something alive. What Jesus is talking about is not a building, not a place of meeting. They already had those. They had temples. So, so they didn't, he didn't need to build another one of those because they had those already. Jesus said, on this rock, I'm going to build a creature of human beings, a movement that's going to change and rock the entire world. And I think Peter probably at the moment was like, yeah, yeah that's cool. And, it's, and, and seeing, again, it seems so insignificant at the time, but when you look at what we're doing right now, to over 2,000 years later, we are doing what Jesus actually said he was going to build. We are part of this creature, of this movement, of this congregation that Jesus said he was going to build. And this is so cool. Later on in the story, you know, as the story goes on, Jesus comes back. He eventually ends up in Jerusalem. Uh, the people there falsely accuse him. They kill him on a cross. He's murdered. They put him in a tomb. Three days later, rises again. All of a sudden, this dead guy who's not dead anymore is walking around, and he tells all of his disciples, go into all the world and preach the good news and all this great stuff, and then he leaves. And they're probably all sitting around going, what are we supposed to do now? Well, I think that's interesting because later on, right after that, they're all sitting in this upper room. Remember, Jesus is gone. He's, he's left. He's up in heaven. And they're all sitting around in this room trying to figure out what to do. And, and, and the strangest thing happens. All of a sudden, it's like a, the sound of like a hurricane of this rushing wind just fills the room. But there's no air. They're not feeling anything. They're just hearing this sound. And then all of a sudden, like, like flames start popping up everywhere, tongues of fire. And they're like, what is going on? And they run out the door and all of a sudden they're all speaking in these different languages and all this crazy stuff is happening. And then they're filled with the Holy Spirit and the creature of God, the church, that ecclesia, that movement just burst onto the scene. It comes alive. That plan that Jesus said that he was going to build this church, it, he does it at the moment when we call that moment Pentecost. And I think that's so interesting. And this is the passage I really want to look at today because in the book of Acts, which was written by Luke, by the way, Luke was a historian. Luke is one of my favorite authors because he gives so much detail in his writings. He actually wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, and it was intended to be like a two-volume set. Um, and then right in the middle of this two-volume set in Acts chapter 2, so if you want to turn with me, turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be near the end in verses 41 and 42. Okay, I'll give you a moment to get there. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. And this is what it says. So those who accepted those, that's, that's the people in the city of Jerusalem. That's the ecclesia that Jesus was talking about. That's the movement. That's the congregation. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that's Peter's message he's talking about. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. 
thousand people became a part of this creature, of this movement, of this congregation, of this ecclesia. And then look at verse 42. Verse 42 is so important because, again, I love Luke. I love the way he writes. He gives us a fantastic description of what this ecclesia is doing. And verse 42 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. I'll read that one more time. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. I want to focus in on one word. Just, just one word. Focus in with this on, with, with me, please. The word devoted there is the past tense of the verb devote, right? The word devote means, and I wrote it down and I want to get it just right, so let me find it. Ah, there it is. <laughs> the word devote means this to give all or a large part of one's time, resources, or resources to a person, activity, or cause. Read that again. The, the word devote there, what it means, what these people did, the description that Luke gives us of this ecclesia is that they, to, to give all or a large part of one's time or resources to a person, activity, or cause. The description that Luke paints for us is this. And we're going to call this the ancient reality, okay? The, the modern reality is that we view church as an institution designed for us to get something. But the ancient reality is that the church is a community designed for us to give something. The church is a community designed for us to give something. This is the reality that Luke paints for us. He says, this is not about a building, this is not about a place. This is not about these walls and these pews and this carpet. This is about people. This is about the ecclesia. The, he's, the description that he gives of this is that it's a movement, and they're not just coming to this thing to get. Like these people, these 3,000 people, they're not joining this movement because they just want to get, 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 get. They're joining this movement because they want to give of themselves. They are devoting themselves when was the last time we came to church to devote ourselves? When was the last time we came to church to give all or a large part of ourselves and our resources to an activity or to a person or to a cause? Listen, we live in the modern reality, and I think we all agree that we probably want to get back to that ancient reality. I, I, I really truly believe that that's what we want. And this is what we need to do. Are you ready for this? We need a paradigm shift. A paradigm shift. I had to look up what that means because it's kind of a big word for me and I'm not used to big words, but I looked up what that means. And a paradigm shift is this. It's a fundamental change in approach and underlying assumptions. A fundamental change in approach and underlying assumptions. A paradigm is basically a common belief. Okay, so back in the ancient world, uh, a, a, uh, an example of a paradigm would be that they, everyone believed the earth was flat. That was their paradigm. That was their fundamental belief, that the earth was flat. And then some guy named Christopher Columbus decided to sail around it, or sail, and everyone thought he was going to fall off, and he changed the paradigm. They went through a paradigm shift where it's like, okay, the world isn't flat, obviously, it's round. Then they went through another one. Uh, everyone thought that the earth was the center of the, of the universe. And 
uh, that everything else revolved around it. Well, then they went, that was their paradigm. And then they went through a paradigm shift because I think it was Galileo or one of those guys figured out that no, the earth isn't the center, the sun is the center. Some of us, we live with the paradigm right now that Diet Coke is good for us. And we need to go through a paradigm shift that no, Diet Coke probably causes cancer, <laughs> okay? So a paradigm is a fundamental belief that we all hold. And a paradigm shift is when we move from the fundamental belief now to a new fundamental belief or approach or underlying assumptions. And when it comes to church, we need to shift. We live in the modern reality where we view, our paradigm is that we view the church as an institution designed for us to get something. We need to go through this shift in our paradigms to get to the point where we view church as a community designed for us to give something. So maybe you're sitting there thinking, "Mm, that's awesome, but how? How do I go through this paradigm shift? Well, first, I want to just warn you, paradigm shifts are hard because we're talking about a fundamental change here. We're not talking about, you know, oh, this is just a kind of a little surface level. No, this is a fundamental. This is almost like if you were building a house. This is like where you have to jackhammer up the foundation because there's something wrong with something real down low, down deep. So this is a big change. But the first thing I think we need to do, and I'm going to give you these action steps, and I I hope you write them down. They're really short. Again, this isn't a perfect list. This isn't an exhaustive list. But but I think if we were to do these three action steps, I think we'll be on the the right path. I think we'll be heading towards a very good paradigm shift. And the first action step is this. Follow Christ. Follow Christ. If Christ is not at the center of everything you do, then you're probably not doing the right thing. If Christ is not at the center of your paradigm shift, then you are shifting in the wrong direction. If Christ isn't at the center of everything, if Christ isn't leading you, then what you're doing is probably just following yourself. You're doing that very thing that's described in the modern reality. So if you truly want to go through a paradigm shift, the first thing you need to do is you need to laser focus on Christ and on following him and his plan. Well, how do you do that, Eric? Well, we got this thing called the, um, the Bible. Uh, that's a good place to start if you want to follow after Christ. Read it. Uh, we got prayer. You can pray. Uh, we got the leading of the Holy Spirit. Guys, if you believe in all this, if you believe that Jesus is, is Lord, then you have the Holy Spirit power in you, and you need to follow that leading. And Christ has got to be the center of your paradigm shift. Action step number two is this. First, you need to follow Christ. Second is you need to accept change. You need to accept change. Because let me tell you something. If you're serious about this paradigm shift, if you're serious about getting back to the ancient reality of church, and if you're following Christ, there is going to be something because a paradigm shift by definition is a change in your fundamental belief or assumptions you are going to be faced with some difficult changes, maybe in your mindset, maybe in how you approach ministry or church. It may, whatever it is, you are going to have to change something about yourself if you're following after Christ and if you're going through this paradigm shift. And we need to learn together to accept it. Yeah, it might be difficult. Let's be honest. Change is tough, right? If you've ever moved, uh, my wife and I moved uh, a year and a half ago, and when you get to a new place and you go through change, like, it's kind of it's tough. 
But when you accept the change and you see the good in that change and you realize that, hey, I'm following Christ and he's leading me through this and I know that Christ has the best for me in mind, then change isn't so bad. So follow after Christ, accept change, and lastly, the action step is this. Build for the future. When we finally get through the paradigm shift and we see church as a, as a community, not as a building, not as an institution, not as a business or a process or a system, but we see church as a community and as an ecclesia and as a creature and as something living and active, filled with real human beings, we can't help ourselves but build for generations to come. We will not be able to help ourselves. We will want to leave an impact that outlasts our own life. Here's something I think is interesting. If we live in the modern reality, the impact we have will only go so far as we do. We have what, 70, 80, 90 years if we're lucky on this earth? And if we live in this modern reality, the impact that we have, it ends there when we're gone. That's it. Because we're all about getting, getting, getting. We're all about this person right here, myself. But if we live with this idea that this is a community, we live with this idea and this reality that we are here to give of ourselves, of our resources, of our time, of, our, of whatever it is, you, the impact you will leave will go far beyond your own life. You could impact generation after generation after generation to come because, if you, because you live in the ancient reality where you view church as a community designed for you to give something. So the three action steps, I'm going to repeat them one more time. I hope you write them down. I hope you put them into practice. Let's do this together. But the first is follow Christ. The second is we need to accept change. And the third is we need to build for the future. Just real quick, just with me, just imagine, imagine what our church would look like if we lived in this ancient reality. Imagine the kind of impact we could have on our community if we didn't focus on this building, if we didn't focus on this institution, but if we completely changed our paradigm and we focused on the community, not so we could get something, but so we could give something. Just imagine the kind of impact we could have. Students, imagine what your school would look like. Parents, imagine what your business would look like. Imagine what your family would look like. Imagine what this church in itself would look like. I think if we were to go through this paradigm shift, yeah, it might be difficult. And yeah, it might be hard. And, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to challenge you to your very core. But if we go through it, if we accept it and we embrace it, we will impact this community and we will, we will leave an imprint in the, in the creature of God that will last far beyond our own lives. And I think that's really exciting. And I think that's something that we should strive for. What I want to do right now is I just want to take a few seconds, 30 seconds. We're going to have a little bit of silence. I want us all to bow our head and I want us to really examine that question. The question for the bottom line that, that I hope you all are wrestling with is this. Do you come to church to get or to give? Let's bow our heads and just for 30 seconds, just pray with God, wrestle with that question and ask yourself, do I come to church to get or to give? And how can God help me go through this paradigm shift?
Jesus, thank you so much for, for loving us and for caring for us and for dying for us and, and rising again for us. Jesus, you, you do so many things for us that we don't deserve. You, you built this creature for us, for the world, and, and we are blessed to be able to be a part of it. And Jesus, if I'm honest with myself right now, I, I have to confess that I've been living in the modern reality. And for those of us here that have, we, we confess together that, that we've been approaching church with this wrong, with this inaccurate paradigm. We, we've been looking at church in the wrong way and we ask for your forgiveness. And Jesus, we want to get back to that kind of devotion that those first church members had. We want to be an ecclesia. We want to be this creature. We want to be a community where we're not here to get. We, we want to be here to give. And Jesus, help us to go through this paradigm shift. It's going to be difficult, but we know that if you lead us there, that we will be able to do that. We know that you have, have given us power. We know that you have given us strength. And, and so we want to lean on that and rely on that. And we just ask that you help us not to focus on just ourselves and what we can get out of all this, but help us to focus on, on others and how we can give of ourselves and how we can devote ourselves. Jesus, I, I love you, and, I, and I, I'm so excited to see what you will do through us, through our community, and how we will impact generations to come. Lord, I pray all this in your precious name. Amen.